Spelljammer is a beloved setting and concept from long gone editions, now brought back from the Abyss into 5th edition with Spelljammer Adventures in Space. And honestly, everyone, the only reason I'm talking about it is I was frankly disappointed. I know I talked a lot about the certain races and other things that would be coming along with this game, and I was very excited about it with a Spelljammer video I did a few months back. But now that it's here, I feel obligated to talk about some of the reasons why I don't think most people should pick this up. Uh, our writer Andrew was a little bit more kind in his review of it, and I agree with the broad strokes of what he's saying, but I feel I think a little bit more intensely about them. So let's get into Spelljammer Adventures in Space. So the first bit of confusion I want to clear up is Spelljammer Adventures in Space is actually three books sold as a single package. It's not entirely clear why they did it like this, but I do see the appeal. With the content separated, I can pass over the new core rules without handing the new adventure path out for my new players to peek at. I've had quite a hard time nailing down the actual MSRP, though. We purchased a digital copy for $49, and the lowest I've seen a physical copy go for is $42.99. I've even seen some places selling it for as high as $70, and it is not worth that. I'm going to assume that the MSRP is $50, and that's probably what the intended price was based on other books that we've gotten. At the cost, though, we're paying a premium. Each of the three books is only 64 pages in length, and added together, you're looking at 192 pages of content, which is quite a bit shorter than the typical 250-ish pages we've come to expect from supplements. The physical copy also includes a lovely DM screen, but if you're not crazy about Spelljammer like I've come to be, uh, it's not going to mean much to you. Within Spelljammer, we have these three books, and I think it's best to go through and evaluate each one on its own merits, and I, I, like I said, mixed feelings, you're going to get the full gambit of my emotions with this supplement. First, let's start with the Adventurer's Guide. The best way to think of this book is as a mini player's guide that only includes the rules for spell jamming and things related to spell jamming. It also includes the new player options, most notably the six new adventuring races we've been playing around since their Unearthed Arcana. Starting off, we get two new backgrounds, which includes the Astral Drifter and the Wild Spacer both meant to accommodate players who spent all or most of their lives wandering the Astral Sea. Both backgrounds grant you a feat, which I initially found very odd, but considering the one D&D announcement we now know, that feats are going to be integral parts of backgrounds moving forward, so that makes a little bit more sense. We also have six new playable races, which include the aloof but starry-eyed Astral Elf, the quirky robotic autonomes, the goofy gun-toting hippofolk the Gifts, the flying monkey Hadozi, the plasmoids, and the insectoid Thrycreen. We'll have to go through all of those in their final form at some point in their own videos, but I can tell you that they're definitely here to stay and they're powerful, so expect them to pop up at your game table at least once. I'm a bit worried about the gifts specifically, as their main feature is very reliant on, well, completely reliant on firearms. They'll be underpowered in settings that don't have them, but at least in Spelljammer, I can see them working beautifully. When the game works beautifully. I'm going to take every chance I can to take digs at this game, by the way, so just get ready for that. So let's get into what is probably the biggest aspect of this supplement, but also my biggest disappointment with it as a whole, and that's the rules for spell jamming. The rules are very light and very simple. You have rules for spell jammer helms, a few rules regarding how gravity and air bubbles work for that whole breathing in space thing, but when it comes right down to it, there isn't much going on when you're sailing a spell jammer. 
In fact, the ships are so functionally identical to regular sailing ships that you could easily use existing ships from Ghost of Saltmarsh as spelljammers, and they'd work just fine. Which, to be clear, I also am not personally a big fan of. I ended up just homebrewing a lot of my own sailing rules in that as well. And DMs here will 100% be doing the same thing. This is kind of a double-edged sword, though. Sometimes 5e is at its best when it follows the less is more philosophy, but I feel like they went a little too far in that direction this time. There's nothing interesting regarding the actual spell jamming mechanics. Nothing differentiates sailing or doing battle on a spell jamming ship when you compare it to a regular ship. There's very little work to do setting up a spell jamming scenario, but there's practically no payoff either. This will be great news for some players and a bit disappointing to others, but personally, I look at it as one of, if not the biggest, product failing as a whole. Unfortunately, this even extends to ship-to-ship -ship combat as well, which, if your ship combat isn't fun in a space RPG, something is drastically wrong. Which ties nicely into the next topic, our 16 Spelljammer ships. Here we get a healthy number of ships, each one just about right to be either the home and transport for your spelljamming adventures, or as a sizable threat that can be crewed by evil enemies. I love that we get a full ship layout for each ship, making it very easy to swashbuckle your way through all your adventures and even go below decks. I do have some major issues with them though. Surprise, surprise. For instance, we're still using basic cannons and ballistae and just like we've always used, and with a couple notable exceptions, all the ships function in basically the same way as a standard sailing ship. And while they come in some fantastical shapes, they don't really have much underlying variety. Sure, one ship looks like a squid for some reason, but it doesn't actually function differently from any other ship. I was hoping for some sort of variation in that regard, especially since the visuals in this expansion are so weird, but instead what we mostly get are nearly identical ships in weird shapes. I feel like there was a real missed opportunity here to add variety and depth to the combat and interactions between the ships, but it's basically just like riding a fishing boat in space. So, which is to say, unexciting. In this book, we also get some interesting lore regarding the astral plane, wild space, and general knowledge you'd need for navigating a spell jamming campaign. But the one major lore chapter concerns the Rock of Braille. The Rock is a city built on a huge mobile asteroid and is meant as a sort of default starting point and questing hub for spell jamming adventures. I would have liked a little more content on the rock if I were to try and use it as a main focal point for a campaign, but it gives me nearly everything I would need to start out. The rock has enough interesting content on it to serve as a good hub, and it has enough interlaced factions and constant flow of people and ships that it'll do its job as a springboard into adventures between the stars. So ultimately, what's good about Astral Adventurer's Guide? The new playable races alone will probably get many players to pick this up, and despite its small size, we still get everything we need to run spell jamming ships and spell jamming adventures, technically. The 16 spell jammer ships have fully illustrated interior decks and make for very easy maps when rolling for initiative on the high astral seas. The spell jammer rules themselves are very simple, easy to run, and players should have no problem with the gravity bending realities of the astral sea you're just not going to have any direct rules on how to do it, which leads us into what is bad about the Astral Adventurer's Guide. There's just so little here to work with that the space motif ends up feeling like window dressing, which is the biggest sin I think any space RPG can really do. There's no difference between sailing the Astral Sea and fighting a space shark rather than sailing a traditional ocean and fighting a normal shark. This iteration of Spelljammer feels very tacked on and lacking in mechanical depth. I was expecting rules for asteroid fields, tables for what you might encounter exploring the corpse of a dead god, or at least more lore than a single port. 
The Astral Adventures Guide feels anemic, and I think it has a lot to do with its drastically reduced size. At only 64 pages, including all of the cover pages and legalese, we're looking at a very condensed set of rules that feels incredibly bare bones. I highly suspect that a lot of the content that was going to be included there has been shaved off and saved for some sort of upcoming Planescape book that was just announced, and we have very little to work with there. If all you want are new races, then yeah, this is definitely the book for you, but I was hoping for much more content than that. As it is, I feel hesitant to even recommend the book for DMs planning to run a Spelljammer setting. Yes, you get some ships to work with, but there's so little that you have to do with them that what's the point? Especially when Ghosts of Saltmarsh does everything practically the same. And there's so little that the Spelljammer rules really provide in terms of setup and payoff that it doesn't seem like it will compel many players to want to make the ship their home or their base of operations. Skull Splitter Dice is going to give this a 4 out of 10, although me personally, I'm going to give it a 3 out of 10 because I could never meaningfully recommend this to any of my friends for the price point. But now let's move on to the next book, Boo's Astral Menagerie, which provides us with 70 new monsters and NPC stat blocks of creatures that can be found in the Astral Sea. We also get a brief set of encounter tables, but really this book is our spell jamming bestiary supplement. To briefly go over the encounter tables, we get three tables, a table for wild space encounters, a table for astral sea encounters, and a table of ship encounters. It shakes out like you'd expect, but it does feel very light, like the rest of this whole thing. Almost every result is a straightforward monster fight, and I'm disappointed that we don't get more interesting stuff in space encounters, as opposed to just, you know, what's in the book. Now let's move on to the monsters and NPCs, and I don't think it's fair to compare this to the Bestiary, which has 195 monsters in it, given its comparably tiny size, but Boo manages to give us a fair assortment of potential threats and allies to play around with. They mainly fall into four categories, spooky space things, spell jamming race NPCs, space fish, and just plain nonsense. On the topic of spooky space things, I think I'll be getting the most use out of the starlight apparitions, which can make for excellent quest givers or threats that I can just throw in reasonably whenever I need them. I also love the mysterious and foreboding Zodar with their once per lifetime wish that feels suitably, well, space opera-y. The spell jamming race NPCs give us about what you'd expect, and should you use, say, Astral Elves or Thrykreen as primary antagonists, you'll have a good variety of enemies to use. A surprising number of the monsters here can be summed up as space fish as well. Space eels, space sharks, space guppies, space whales, and space birds are all in the pages here. They're welcome additions, but they're also, again, just things that you can find on a planet, but in space, which doesn't really help with the Ghosts of Saltmarsh comparison I made earlier. And then, of course, we also get Wacky Nonsense, which they definitely leaned into with their marketing. Boo includes this giant space hamster, of course, but we also get space clowns that are literally inspired by the killer clowns from Outer Space movie. So, there's that. We have beholders that pretend to be asteroids, which might be my favorite little idea from this whole thing. We have space guppies, space penguin people, and while there are a few genuinely terrifying monsters, the book overall is not taking itself that seriously, which I think overall adds to the tone that it's going for. So what's good about Boo's Astral Menagerie? For the size of the book, it really doesn't waste any space, and it seems to jam as many monsters and everything else in there as possible. Many of the monsters are inspired and have clever designs and can potentially inspire the spark of entire campaigns if you really want to dig that deep. This book does a good job of filling all the niches you'll likely run into during a Spelljammer campaign. 
While space is infinite and they can't cover everything, you have a great jumping off point with each stat block for most of the tropes you're likely to encounter. My biggest complaint here though is the size. We're dealing with the entire Astral Sea and beyond, so why is the bestiary a third of the size as the original one? Sure, you can modify existing monsters to fit the space aesthetic, but I was hoping for more original concepts and a few more favorites to return. You know, like the Dracones, the Rogue Moons, there are also things like the Fracklings and the Earthlings. I just can't help but feel that we were shortchanged here, and trying to fill the book with other content doesn't really cut it when I'm looking for weird space creatures. Boo's Astral Menagerie is lighthearted, well-written, and tragically short. I can feel the design gaps that I think were left behind when content was chopped off and saved for future upcoming projects. What we have here is excellent, but I don't feel like it is enough to flesh out any Spelljammer campaign, unless I just use a few narrow portions of it. I also felt far too many listings were just space versions of things rather than new, interesting ideas. Still, it's not a terrible condemnation if the worst thing I can say is that something is great, there's just not enough of it. But doesn't change the fact that there just isn't enough of it. Skull Splitter Dice gave this a 7 out of 10. I'm a little bit more harsh with a 5 out of 10. I felt perfectly in the middle about this book. And then lastly, we have The Light of Xerixis, and it is a complete Spelljammer adventure that runs from 5th level to 9th level as the players attempt to save their planet from murderous astral elves. It explicitly states that it's attempting to get a Flash Gordon type of feel, and it really does achieve that. There are clearly stated good guys, over-the-top bad guys, and supporting comic relief characters that your players will absolutely attach to and love. Especially Flapjack the Flumpth Spelljammer. He is a precious person, and I hope your DM is capable of playing them to the maximum ability. The writers took a fascinating choice to divide up each of the adventure's four parts into separate chapters, with each chapter supposedly taking just about a two to three hour long session. I'm interested to see how this works in practice, but it's an innovative idea that I really want to experiment with. Giving the DM a clear-cut idea of how much content the players are expected to go through in a session sounds like a decent idea. They also try hard to end every chapter with a cliffhanger. Playing up to the campy Flash Gordon serials is what I think they're going for here. They're definitely trying to set this adventure up as the next starter adventure to play after the first, introducing the players to the rules of Spelljammer after their initial introductions to 5e. Despite my issues with the rest of the supplement, Light of Xeraxis is fun. It's a well-designed campaign that leans into the campy and the dramatic. The characters are over the top on purpose, and if the players decide to join in the wacky fun, the Flash Gordon tone will definitely follow. I'm also incredibly interested to see if this session-length chapters thing will work out in practice, and if it does, I feel like it will quickly become an industry standard. My main criticism of the adventure actually has to do with the failing of Spelljammer as a supplement. A part that emphasizes that the most for me is a point near the end in which the heroes have assembled a huge fleet of Spelljammers to take on the opposing evil fleet of Astral Elves. And rather than experiencing that fight, it is boiled down to a fight between two ships, and even that is sort of glossed over. Ship-to-ship -ship combat is just not really set up to be fun, and it's a real shame. And when the capstone of the whole narrative is very resemblant to the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, you have, you have let everyone down. For me, The Light of Xeraxis is the highlight of the collection and practically justifies the purchase all by itself. I mean, not really, but if you got it, that would probably be the highlight for you. The characters had the right mix of depth, and the over-the-top wackiness really does hit the mark. The Flash Gordon vibe and aesthetic is all there, 
And I may have to fight my nostalgia colored glasses on this for both the campy sci-fi elements and all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty nostalgic for all that, that whole aesthetic of sci-fi. But it, it really doesn't change how I feel at the end of the day. This is an issue I had with the Ghosts of Salt Marsh and other Wizards of the Coast encounters on ships. It all just devolves down into boarding actions, and I don't get much out of the ship itself. It never feels like the character that it should be. That's me maybe being nitpicky, I realize that, and it's a personal gripe that maybe shouldn't deter all of you from picking it up. But I feel strongly enough about it to mention it here. If you're looking for a 12 session or so adventure with a comedic vein, then this is going to be perfect for you. Skull Splitter gives this a 9 out of 10, but me personally, again, with all of the failings of the system itself, I'm going to have to go with a 7. If you can come up with better rules and everything else to make that climax and other certain aspects of the adventure pay off more, it'll probably be better, but I'm going with a 7. On one hand, I was very disappointed in the core rules for spell jamming, but on the other hand, we're getting an excellent bestiary and a fantastic adventure path. I think ultimately it's worth getting, but only just barely. I'm hesitant to fully recommend it as I fully believe the rules are so minimalistic you'd have just as good a campaign winging it for what's been provided. My biggest concern is just how much improvising most DMs will have to do if they want to run their own spell jamming campaign. We don't have rules for practically anything you could encounter out in the Astral Sea beyond a few monsters that barely add up to a third of what you'd have on Toril using just the base bestiary. And if you're playing a game where you're improvising 90% of the content anyway, why would you buy the book? The answer is, of course, Xeraxis, and I'm sure that the included adventure will be what puts it over the top for many. If you're looking to play Xeraxis on your own Spelljammer games, you may as well pick it up. Just anticipate waiting quite a while for the rest of the content to come out much later in Planescape, and consider waiting for that release if you don't want to be improvising everything between every single planet and star. Skull Splitter Dice's final score comes out to a 6.5 out of 10, but for me, it's a 5 out of 10 when you add it all up, and I cannot recommend it for the price. I wouldn't recommend it to my friends, so I'm not going to recommend it to you viewers. I feel like if you've already started your own homebrew Spelljammer campaign, your group will have a much better time with that. I really do hate to review things so harshly, but I feel like when this much money, uh, especially in a hobby that already has a bunch of micro-purchases and any, just all that kind of stuff, when that's on the line, I feel like it's necessary for me to be as honest and blunt as possible. I didn't comment on Strixhaven when that came out, mainly because I didn't feel like it was for me. I didn't say much in anticipation to its release. So when it came out and I wasn't crazy about it like a lot of people, I didn't really feel like I should throw my hat into the ring there. But I did make multiple videos about races that would be in Spelljammer, talked about it in its own video about running space campaigns. So probably should follow up on that. And I'm here to say... Meh. Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe because we put up new videos like this every week. And I actually do have a mass combat video that has been taking up the majority of my time that will hopefully be releasing next. That's going to be a long one, so keep your eyes out for that. Uh, be sure to let me know what you guys think of Spelljammer down in the comments. If you guys really liked it, I want to hear your opinions on it especially. And if you guys are building any interesting characters in Spelljammer, I also want to hear about those. Thanks again for watching. My name is Patrick Ferguson from Skull Splitter Dice, and until next time, farewell.